So we're week three of seven on our adventure to, well, I'm not quite sure if it's the North Pole, the South Pole, or who knows what pole. Um, Not quite as exciting as Spence's Arctic trip, but it it has its own challenges and excitements for us. Um, I will try and guide you through the service. Uh, There are times when there are options to move around and try something a little different, or simply sit back, relax, and hopefully enjoy the ride. We're going to begin our worship this morning by singing from the Purple Common Ground book, and it will also appear on the screen. Here in this place, new light is streaming, and if you're able to stand as we sing, that would be great. going to join together in a prayer of thanksgiving and after that we will join together in the Lord's Prayer. Please say that in whichever is your own first language and whichever version is familiar to you 
If you don't know the words, there will be a version appear on the screen. So let's pray together our prayers of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for this new day and for each person gathered here to worship you. Thank you for this place in which we are able to meet freely and safely to do so. Thank you that someone put out the chairs. Someone arranged the flowers. Someone gave us a hymn book. Thank you that someone has prepared the refreshments. Someone will count the offering. Someone will play the piano. Thank you for the people who have said hello to us already and those we'll chat to later. Thank you for all we will share together as we listen for your voice in song and story, action and stillness. Thank you that this very ordinary human endeavour is precious in your sight. Thank you that you love and cherish every one of us just as we are. Thank you that Jesus, whom we try to follow, leads us closer to you day by day. And thank you that he gave us a pattern to guide our prayers, which we share together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to have our Bible story this morning, and it's again, it's the DVD that we're using. Um, anybody who's familiar with CBeebies might recognise Gemma, who's presenting it. The rest of us are going, who the heck is Gemma? Well, she's the girl, and Blizz is the dog. Uh, so we're going to, as I say, watch this, the video. It's a story, but it is a, it's telling us uh, the Bible story that we're going to explore today. down here by the fire. It's freezing outside. Please close the door. Listen to you. It shouldn't matter to you about the cold. You're a husky. Husky dogs especially made not to feel the cold. Well, this particular husky thinks that he does feel the cold, so please close the door. Okay, okay. There we go. Oh, what a brilliant day we've had today. You with the other dogs in team running along. And yes, I know it's been cold, but the sun has been shining and making everything sparkle like glitter. Oh, what a beautiful world our God has made. Oh, I've got some amazing photographs. Do you want to see them? Oh, yes, please. Here we go. 
Well, they look great, Gemma. It's just a pity it's so cold outside. I don't think I'm really made for this. Of course you are, Blizz. Hey, when I look at all the wonderful things outside, like rainbows glinting off waterfalls and icicles as big as me and amazing animals like whales and seals and polar bears and not to mention the incredible sunsets we're going to see later i know for certain that god has made you perfectly for coping with the cold you're a husky that's what huskies do you think i know god has given you everything you need to cope with the cold once you're running along you'll be warm in no time i'm not really sure i'm made for it even when the door is open it feels like my fur's going to freeze i think i'm better staying just here by the fire oh no you're not blizz this is what you're made for listen let me tell you a story it's about a man called stephen and i think it's one of my favorites in the bible because it reminds us that we can do anything that god asks of us great i love stories Mm -hmm. Stephen was a man whose face shone. Everyone who looked at him could tell that he loved God. It seemed like Jesus was smiling through him. And those who had actually known Jesus said to each other how much he reminded them of him. Stephen's friends knew him to be someone they could depend upon. Someone who never let them down. And someone who they loved to be with. He was someone that brought warmth into a cold room wisdom into a difficult situation and a willingness to help anyone in need. He loved the stories of old, of Abraham and Isaac, of Moses and Aaron, of Joshua and David. And he was so excited to be alive at the time when Jesus, God's chosen one, had walked on the same earth as he himself walked. All of the old stories had pointed to this time and Stephen felt that he and his friends were taking part in the greatest chapter of all. He talked about this every day and people loved the way he connected their long history with what God was doing amongst them now. It was no surprise to anyone then when the leaders of their group chose Stephen as one of the seven who would help them make sure that no one went hungry. In those days, the group of Jesus' friends, the church, was growing very quickly indeed and one of the important things that happened was that everyone ate together. The problem was that some people were being left out and Peter and the other leaders wanted to make sure everything worked better in the future. Stephen was delighted to be asked and didn't for a moment feel too insignificant. This was a really good thing to do and he was going to do his very best. So it was that Stephen became a helper in the church and as soon as he started he knew that God was with him. As well as making sure that the meals had all worked out, Stephen found that God was using him in all sorts of different and amazing ways. Sometimes he would be serving food and heard that someone was there who needed help. He'd stop what he was doing and say a prayer with them right then and there and God would answer it immediately. Stephen was so grateful to God. All of the amazing things that were happening were like signs pointing to God. When someone who was unwell or sad or frightened was healed, it showed God was real and at work. Stephen was so glad for the opportunity to help others and was even more glad that God was blessing his work. His face seemed to shine more and more every day. One day, though, something terrible happened. Some people came along who did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God and they began an argument with Stephen. 
he answered them calmly and kindly and told them all about Jesus in a way that would help them understand how Jesus had come to bring about all that God had promised in the past. But they just wouldn't listen. Again and again they tried to make people stop believing in what Stephen was saying, but God's spirit was with him and they couldn't win. Never once did he lose his temper with them, as he loved them and wanted them to come to believe in Jesus too, just like he and his friends did. Eventually, they went away and Stephen thanked God and hoped that there would be no more trouble. Stephen went back to doing whatever God asked him to do, whether it was making sure people had enough to eat, or praying with people, or telling them the stories of old, so that they could understand properly about how Jesus was the one everyone had been waiting for. Suddenly, a group of people came to Stephen. This time there was no arguing. They just grabbed him and dragged him away, saying they were going to take him to the council to prove that he was a criminal. The people who had tried to argue against him had now told lies about him. We have heard him say very bad things against Moses and against God. They also said that Jesus would destroy their temple and ruin everything for everyone. Stephen couldn't believe his ears. But... His face did not show it. All the people in the council who were listening to people tell lies about him said that his face was like the face of an angel. The high priest asked him whether what was being said about him was true. Stephen decided that now was the time when he could tell everyone all that God had promised from long ago and so he began to tell them the stories of Abraham and Isaac, of Moses and Aaron, of Joshua and David so that they could see how it all made perfect sense that Jesus was the one who had come to set God's people free, not from slavery in Egypt, but from their own selfishness and greed, how God was bringing them into a new promised land, not one which was a real country, but a better place altogether, where God was king of all, of how there was a new place to seek and find God, not in a temple, but in their own hearts, through believing in Jesus. He realised that they knew the stories of old, but that they needed to see how Jesus was the last and greatest chapter of all, the one that made sense of everything else. How he longed that these people that he loved, even though they seemed to hate him, would come to know Jesus for themselves. Eventually, Stephen stopped and looked at the crowd. He realised that they weren't really hearing him. They could hear his words, but they didn't believe him. He decided to come straight to the point and told them they were being stubborn to God's spirit. He said that like the prophets of old had been in trouble for talking about the chosen one who was to come, they had taken Jesus, the chosen one, and had dragged him away too. He said that even though they knew how to live the way God wanted, they chose not to. The people looked angrier and angrier, their faces becoming red and ugly as they thought of how they wanted to stop Stephen speaking to them. Suddenly, Stephen saw something. It was not something that everyone could see, but something that God was showing only him. He looked up into the sky and told them that he could see Jesus at God's side. He was so thrilled to see this that he hardly noticed the people rush at him and drag him out of the city to a place where they took criminals who were going to be punished. Even when the first stone was thrown at him, Stephen still managed to love them and prayed that God would forgive them for what they were doing. Even in his pain, Stephen's face shone brightly with God's love.
Wow, that's an amazing story. Stephen was such a brave man. I'd have been scared if I was him, especially when people turned against him. It must have been horrible. Yes, it must have been. But he knew what he had to do and that God was with him and that made all the difference. God made it possible for Stephen to be brave, even when things were out of his control. That's right, and that's what God wants to do for each of us because we all really matter to God and he really wants to help us. Whether it's helping someone like Stephen cope with his situation or helping us to do things we don't really want to do. So, how about it? How about what? Another log on the fire? Another duvet on my bed tonight? Or a hot water bottle on my tummy? No, another quick expedition. Oh, come on, I'll get some great shots of the sun setting. Okay. Well, if Stephen can do whatever was asked of him, I think I can put up with a bit of cold. Yeah, that's right, Blizz. <laughs> God makes everything possible for all of us. Yeah. Stephen is one of the people that some parts of the church refer to as a saint. And Stephen was also an ordinary person, just like we are. So there was really only one song I could think of to follow on at that point. It's in the red hymn book, uh, number 481. It's also going to appear on the screen. I sing a song of the saints of God. have an opportunity to continue to explore the theme um, from that story in different ways.
If you are feeling creative or if you like to do something with your hands whilst you listen, which some people do, make your way up the stairs to the mezzanine where Emma is going to be guiding you and you have an opportunity to decorate a mug or a plate to take home um, to help you go on thinking about God being part of the ordinariness. If you want to actually look at the real scriptures, as it says in the Bible of this story, or if you're somebody who thinks better with puzzles or questions or likes to colour while you're listening, just make your way over to the quiz zone at the back. We also have some Polar Explorers puzzle books there for younger people. Um, If you would like to go and have some fun with food, do some making of things with food, make your way out to the active zone in the memorial room. There are also some um, Polar Explorers puzzle books out there if you fancy that. If you prefer to sit and listen to somebody talk and guide you through a reflection and prayer, then just simply stay where you are and I will guide you through that. The way it's going to work is in a minute Paul's going to put on some music and you're invited to move around during that, make your choice as to where you'd like to go. And then please stay with whatever you choose for around about 20 minutes, after which I will signal to Paul to play the music again and we come back together to to finish our worship together. Um, If you think you'd like to go to one of those and you're not sure where it is, I've actually remembered to put them up on the screen this week. So about a minute to two minutes while you choose what you're going to do and then we continue to reflect on this story in the ways that are most suited to us. When I was a ministerial student uh, back in the early part of this century, each year one person was appointed as the chapel steward. And the job of the chapel steward each Wednesday when it was college communion was to make sure the chairs were arranged in the order that the preacher liked. Because sometimes we sat in a circle and sometimes we sat in rows and sometimes they wanted to serve communion in one place and sometimes in several places. And also you had to buy the bread and the juice to be shared in communion. 
As the senior student, I was asked to approach one of my colleagues to say, well, could you be the chapel steward for the next 12 months? So I went up to this student, who was the same age as I was. He said, oh, well, actually, I don't feel God is calling me to buy bread and juice. A couple of years later, when I was new in post as a minister... I was chatting to another new minister, um, and he was at a church nearby mine, and we were at a sort of training day for new ministers, and he said, you know, the first week um, after the service, I just went into the kitchen and picked up the teapot to help serving the tea, and everybody looked at me like I had ten heads, because it was always the old women at the church who poured the tea. That had been the rule since Adam was a lad. It's this question of ordinariness, whether it applies to people or roles or tasks that we're invited to ponder as we hear the story of a man called Stephen. The early church was growing very rapidly and people of different ethnic and social backgrounds were coming along and joining it. People were giving huge amounts of money very generously. Wealthy people would sell property and donate part or all of the proceeds to the community of believers. And in theory, everybody was well looked after. But were they? The start of Stephen's story hints at racial, gender-based, ageist and possibly even status-based tension. The Greek widows felt that their needs were being overlooked and they began to vocalise their annoyance. Peter and the other apostles were very busy with their preaching and evangelistic ministry and they just said, look, we can't take all this on as well. We're really sorry. We can't do the practical and pastoral stuff. You, the church, have a look around and see who you think would be the right people to do this and we'll appoint them. I don't think they felt this was somehow beneath their dignity, that this was an inferior task, that their role was more important. It was just the reality that they couldn't do everything. And I have to remind myself of that one sometimes. There's a temptation of at least some 21st century ministers to think that we can do everything, and we can't. So they handed over the task to the community and yet said, you you choose them. And the people looked around and they found seven people. It happens that they were seven men, but that probably reflects the culture of the time. People who were reliable and trustworthy. People who understood the values of the community. People they felt were spiritually dependable. And so it was that Stephen and six other men were chosen and appointed. And I wonder how they felt... Did they feel honoured that out of everybody they'd been chosen to take on this task? Or were they frankly a bit miffed at being asked to run a food bank and serve the tables of elderly foreigners? Would they rather have been asked to be a preacher or a missionary? Or did they recognise the value and the importance of the role that was offered to them? How do we feel if we're asked to undertake a role in our church? Do we see it as a privilege or as an imposition? Does it feel different if we're asked to be on the intercessory prayer rotor or on the creche rotor? 
if we're asked to put away the chairs or to count the offering? Do we have our own internal hierarchy of roles deciding which ones we think are suitable for us and are not suitable for us or, or suitable for other people? Stephen, it seems, served diligently as a deacon, a table waiter. He made the effort to get to know the people he served. He didn't just plonk the plates on the table or hand over bags of supplies. He took time to get to know people, to find out what was going on in their lives. He found opportunities to pray with them and for them. And they came to know him as a man whose face shone with the love of God. He didn't see himself as just a deacon. Rather, being a deacon gave him the opportunity to build relationships, to develop an important pastoral ministry. He didn't see it just as a stepping stone to something better or higher status. He recognized that this ordinary, even menial role was really important within the life of the church. Does any of that seem to resonate with our own experience? Is it possible that by taking on a practical task, we get to know people better, can encourage them and be encouraged ourselves? Perhaps we hone new skills or learn new skills, or maybe we can teach others new skills. Do we, like Stephen, glow with grace or glower with resentment? Are we able to value our own part for what it is or do we resent not being someone or something else? In Stephen's story, he developed the confidence to speak openly in public about his faith in what was known as the synagogue of the freed men. Nobody seems quite sure who they were, but they do seem to have been a multi-ethnic group. And certainly this brought him into conflict with the authorities, leading to his arrest and execution. Stephen is recognised as the first Christian martyr, the first person who died for his faith. It always troubles me that the word martyr is linked intrinsically with death, because that detracts from what the Greek word actually says or means. A martyr is a witness a person who testifies to what they've seen. And it seems to me that Stephen's witness wasn't confined to that long recorded speech that he gave in public. His witness was expressed in his everyday life. In the days when he sat down next to a widow and listened to her tell her story. In the way he prepared the food or served it at the table. In the way he was in himself towards others. He didn't worry about how ordinary the work was because he was secure in his own identity. He didn't envy other people their roles because he knew his own role was valid. He wasn't looking at others with a critical eye trying to find fault because he was content in who he was. Sometimes I think I'm a bit thick. But it was only this week, rereading the story, that it struck me that the Bible tells us nothing about the impact of Stephen's death on the church. But surely he was mourned by those who'd loved him. 
Surely many people missed him. And I wonder, as the days went on, did people begin to discover that something wasn't getting done because, ah, Stephen used to do that and we didn't know. Or did people think, oh yeah, Stephen used to talk to that lady. I'll go and talk to her. Stephen used to, maybe we can. I wonder, did the other six deacons step up to fulfill Stephen's role? I wonder what happened next. And what about us? I've been thinking about this idea of too ordinary this week, realising it can be applied to roles and to people, to the way we see ourselves and the way we see other people. And perhaps we should start by looking inwards at how we perceive ourselves. Is our opinion of ourselves too low or too high? Do we see ourselves as too ordinary or too important? Because what I think people saw in Stephen, at least in part, came because he had a healthy sense of his own worth. He knew his value. He didn't think too highly or too lowly of himself. He didn't think he was too ordinary or too special. He knew that he was loved and accepted, valued and wanted. So I think Stephen had a healthy self-esteem. And that is important for us, that we develop a healthy view of ourselves. But perhaps we also need to think on how we look at other people. And here it does get tricky, because our gifts and our skills, our temperaments and our personalities are significant in determining the way we may best play our part in the church. Even so, the temptation to see somebody else as more important or less important is a very real one. Surely the aim is to work towards recognising everybody as a unique individual of equal worth. Nobody more special, nobody more ordinary. That whilst their roles may differ, the minister and the person who cleans the toilet are of the same value. That playing the piano or leading the intercessory prayer is no more or no less significant than making the tea or arranging the chairs. In fact, you might argue that the chairs and the tea are more important because without those we would have a pretty rotten time. And that all brings us back to where we started. There are some tasks that by their nature are more visible and some do seem more glamorous. There are tasks that need gifts or skills that not everybody has. But that doesn't mean they have greater value or greater status. One of the interesting things about a Baptist understanding is that a minister is first and foremost a deacon, a table waiter, a servant, not a priest. And yet, at the same time, we have the understanding that everybody is a priest. We talk about the priesthood of all believers. So the person who pours the tea, the person who puts away the chairs, the person who sweeps the floor, the person who teaches a Sunday school, is a priest. 
as is the person who sits in the chair and the person who speaks. Everybody is of equal status in the eyes of God and in the eyes of a Baptist understanding of church. There is no task too menial or too ordinary, too significant for any member of the community of faith to be asked to fulfil. My friend who told me that God was not calling him to buy bread and juice probably missed that little bit. And there is no person who is too ordinary or too unimportant to play their part within the community of faith. Any task undertaken willingly and creatively can be rewarding and fulfilling. And here's the mystery. It can become a witness of God's spirit at work within us. Whether it's overtly practical or inherently spiritual, whether it's everyday ordinary or Sunday special, anything and everything can be an act of worship and a witness to the work of God in our lives. The story of Stephen ought to encourage us that whoever we are, whatever our gifts and skills, however they are employed, we are never too ordinary or too important, too unimportant or too special. God values every single one of us equally and uniquely. And each of us can be a saint of God. Is uh, misbehaving? When you came in, you may well have found a newspaper on your chair or near to your chair. And for our prayers this morning, it's going to be interactive. And I'd just like you to take a minute or two to find one of those papers or magazines and have a flip through. See if you can find a headline or a picture or an advert or something that strikes you and would lead you to think about prayer, a situation, a person, something that concerns you, something that expires you. And if you do, just rip it out and come forward, if you're able to, um, and lay it on the tables around the cross. And then after a couple of minutes, I will gather those together in a prayer. you still have a, a picture to bring forward that's fine i'll just gather our thoughts as we continue to bring up our pictures to offer to god god of our ordinary everyday world present in the messiness of human life gifting each person with skills for service visible and obviously significant invisible and unobserved and yet each capable of transforming lives, communities, situations and infrastructures. As we have laid these press cuttings, significant to us in some small measure, show us how in action or prayer 
we may witness to your redemptive power and love. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Continue to worship God together as we take up our offering. Loving God, we bring these gifts of money, whether great or small, whether planned or spontaneous. And with them we bring ourselves, all ages and varieties of people, each one unique and loved by you, 
each one bearing the image of your divinity and each one called to witness to your love in our lives. Accept our gifts of money and accept us too, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Just to prove I get things wrong quite regularly, the uh, number on the sheet for the last hymn is incorrect. I was just juggling numbers and got them in the wrong order. It is number 473 in the red hymn book. Uh, The words will also appear on the screen. And it's a great hymn that is a prayer of commitment to one another within the community of Christ as equal believers and searchers. Brother, sister, let me serve you. just remind anybody who did do some china painting to please take your creations with you. I'm gathering all sorts of bits upstairs that people have left behind and that's a shame. So as we leave this place of worship and reflection to return to the ordinary everyday world of which we're part we ask you God to bless us with a healthy attitude to ourselves and to to others as our lives bear witness to your love and grace, now and always. Mm